I'm speaking today to make a national appeal. Anyone who knows the whereabouts of Anna, please contact the police. My biggest fear is being denied part of Gracie's future. Did you kill your wife, Anna? I haven't harmed my wife or my daughter. I haven't harmed either of them. Welcome to this week's episode of the True Crime Sisters podcast. We hope you've been enjoying the episodes we've been releasing so far in 2018. Before we get started with this week's episode, I just wanted to thank a few more of our new patrons. We've had so much support from you guys lately and it really does mean a lot to us. So a big thank you to Anna, Lyle, Dale, Jacinta, Kirsten, Alana, Lisa, Jessica, Laura and Beck. Thanks heaps for that, guys, and we'll keep thanking our new patrons next week. I did just want to warn you that today's episode is pretty graphic in nature and it does have quite disturbing details about the death of a small child. So if you did want to skip it, there'll be no hard feelings on our part. With that, I'll pass you over to Bill to get started on this week's episode. Thanks, Harry. This week we are discussing the murder of Melbourne mother Anna Kemp and her 20-month-old daughter, Gracie Louise Sharp. Anna Kemp was born in New Zealand, in Dunedin, on the 27th of September, 1962, to mother Lilia Gebler, who was a Polish immigrant, and father Douglas Kemp. Initially, her upbringing was happy, until at the age of 12, her parents separated, leaving her and her two brothers devastated. Her father decided to move overseas to Australia, which you can imagine would have been a blow to his children, who had been very close to him. Despite the struggles she faced at home, Anna worked hard at school and excelled in all her classes. When she finished school, she went on to work at a local newspaper in advertising before changing careers to a welfare worker at the Salvation Army. She was described as a very positive person, with a wonderful heart and very intelligent, although very modest also. On a holiday to Sydney, Australia, Anna began a relationship and ended up deciding to make the move across the Tasman Sea to Australia. She ended up settling down in Melbourne with a friend and was able to secure a job as a bank teller at the Commonwealth Bank. Soon after moving to Melbourne, she met a local man, John Sharp, who was four years younger than her, and the two began dating. Anna was 31 and John was 27 years old. It wasn't long before Anna announced to her family that she and John would be getting married, and this news reportedly took them by surprise. Her family thought maybe she was feeling the pressure to settle down and get married as she entered her 30s. The couple married on the 30th of October 1994 at the St Thomas More Church in Mount Eliza. It was a small and intimate wedding with only 40 guests in attendance including Anna's family, who made the trip from New Zealand. They were not particularly impressed with John and saw him as a bit of a loser and not a good match for Anna. Following the wedding, the couple went off on their honeymoon. When they returned and Anna spoke to her mother, she confessed that she felt as though she may have made a mistake marrying John. She felt like her relationship lacked passion and love. Despite this, she was a committed Catholic and decided to try and make the marriage work. She settled into their new life together. 
the couple settled in Mornington, a seaside suburb 57 kilometres south of Melbourne's CBD. Their dual incomes at the Commonwealth Bank meant that they lived a life that was financially comfortable. After seven years of marriage and a cervical cancer scare, Anna got pregnant with the couple's first child. She was so happy with the news, she felt ready to start a family. However, John was not so excited with the prospect of a baby joining them. He told his family that he was angry that Anna had become pregnant without his consent. On the 13th of August 2002, baby Gracie Louise Sharp was born and Anna was absolutely in love with her new daughter. Gracie was born with congenital hip dysplasia, which is a childhood condition where the ball and socket joint of the hips doesn't form properly. This condition is found in approximately one or two babies in every 1,000. Congenital hip dysplasia in babies is treated orthopedically using a corrective harness called a pavlic harness, which keeps the baby's hips in a stable position, allowing them to develop normally. With treatment, Gracie was expected to make a full recovery. This was a stressful time for Anna and only added to John's displeasure about losing his freedom when Gracie was born. Because of her condition, she cried often and had trouble sleeping, which isn't surprising given the harness that she had to wear. Gracie continued to be quite an unsettled baby and Anna struggled with feeding her and her sleeping even after she got out of the harness. In November 2002, Anna sought professional help for her anxiety and inability to cope at the Peninsula Health's Hillview Maternity Unit. She had three inpatient admissions with Gracie to try to establish a healthy eating and sleeping pattern for mother and daughter. Anna left her job at the bank to be a full-time stay-at-home mum and John decided to begin a home-based conveyancing business. They were able to afford this after purchasing, renovating and selling a number of houses in their area and making a good profit. In November 2003, Anna fell pregnant again. And again, John was extremely angry with this, even accusing Anna of an affair. Anna attended a routine ultrasound and found out that she was expecting a little boy. When she got home from her appointment, which John didn't attend, she expected John to ask for all the details about their unborn child, but he didn't. Reportedly at this stage, Anna gave John an ultimatum. If he wasn't going to make an effort with Gracie or their second child, she would leave him. John began to see Anna as controlling and moody, and he was reportedly very unhappy with their marriage. At some stage during 2003... John Sharp went to a local sports shop and bought a high-powered spear gun, the type that is usually used for spear fishing. He had no interest in fishing, but would practice firing the spear gun in the backyard of the house. On the 21st of March 2004, John, Anna and Gracie attended a family function to celebrate the birth of their new nephew. According to John's family, nobody noticed anything strange about the couple's behaviour that day. John appeared to be a doting husband and father, and there was no sign that Anna was getting ready to leave him. On the 23rd of March, at around 2pm, Anna spoke on the phone to her private health care provider to ask about adding their unborn child to their health policy. 
This was the last time anyone outside of the home spoke to Anna. Her mother tried calling that night, but there was no answer, so she left a voicemail. That night, Anna had gone to bed somewhere between 9 and 10 p.m. after a nasty row with John. While Anna quickly fell asleep, John continued to lay awake, stewing over their earlier argument. Eventually, he got up and made his way to the garage, where he collected the spear gun. He loaded it and made his way back to the bedroom where Anna slept quietly. He pointed the spear gun at her left temple within close range and shot a spear into her head. When she continued to breathe, he reloaded and fired a second spear. This time her breathing stopped. He took some towels and put them over Anna's body reportedly so that he would not have to look at the damage he had just caused the woman he was supposed to love. He then went downstairs and set up the fold-out sofa to sleep on, all while the couple's little girl Gracie slept down the hallway. The next morning, John got Gracie from her bed, fed her breakfast, and dropped her at at Padua Kindergarten and Daycare Centre. He then returned home. John took Anna from the bed into the backyard and buried her in a shallow grave before bringing Gracie back home. It wasn't long before people began inquiring about Anna's whereabouts. She was a popular and much-loved woman and her absence had not gone unnoticed. Friends and family were leaving messages on the answering machine. Eventually, John made the decision to call Anna's friends and family and tell them that Anna had left him for another man and to try her mobile if they wanted to contact her. He then told them that he didn't know where she was or who she was staying with, but said that Anna would probably be coming to collect Gracie at some stage. Anna's mother, Lilia, thought it was highly unlikely that her daughter would leave Gracie with her father. Anna had openly told her mother that John showed no affection to Gracie. On the 27th of March, Gracie was put to bed in her cot and it wasn't long before she fell asleep. John drank some whiskey and coke before once again retrieving his spear gun from the garage. He loaded it with a new spear, which he had returned to the sports store with Gracie to buy. He pointed the spear gun at his beautiful only daughter, closed his eyes and shot an arrow into his baby's head. The first shot didn't kill her. John's solution to this problem was to dig up Anna's body and retrieve the arrows from her head. He then went back upstairs and shot them too at his defenceless toddler. Again, she survived, fighting for her life. John Sharp then pulled the first arrow back out of her head and shot it again. Sadly, Gracie lost her fight. The next morning, on the 28th of March, John Sharp went into Gracie's bedroom and pulled the three spears from her head. Reportedly, he couldn't bear to look at the extensive damage he had caused his baby girl, and he had to hold a towel in front of his face. He wrapped her tiny body in a tarp and garbage bags and wrapped her up in duct tape. He then drove to the Mornington Tip and discarded her, along with the spear gun and some of her toys and clothing. Following this, he continued to try and make it appear as though Anna and Gracie were still alive. He made calls from Anna's phone, took money from her bank accounts, and sent emails to her relatives on her behalf explaining her whereabouts. 
On the 29th of March, he sent an email to Anna's brother Joe in her name. It said, Please print this and give it to Mum. I don't know if Mum or Gerald has told you, but I've left John and taken Gracie with me. It's really been a loveless marriage for a long time, with no passion and no real feelings of affection. Mum has known this was likely to happen for a while. John is very dutiful, if you know what I mean, but that's about it. He really only cares about his work and doing things around the house. He doesn't show me any intimacy and is almost like a robot that just exists in its own little world. This has led me to look elsewhere for love and I have found it. There is a wonderful guy who loves Gracie and me and he is the father of the new baby. He has a good job and home and is a friend of a guy I used to go out with. I'd occasionally kept in touch with him and had a bit of a thing without ever acting on it. It's such a beautiful feeling to have someone love you and provide caring passion. I haven't felt this good about myself for as long as I can remember and I'm just glad that we have finally put an end to my marriage charade. I'm sure deep down John feels the same way. Life's too short to be bogged down in anything and I just feel so much better clearing the decks of everything. I want to make it clear, Mum, that although I haven't rung you, I am not angry with you or trying to punish you. Gracie is fine and was thrilled to see me when I came to collect her. It was a magic moment and she was clinging to me like a monkey and saying, Mama. I hope you can all rest easy now that you've read this and I'm sorry I've told you a few white lies in the past few months in relation to how stressed I am and how full on Gracie is. Please respect and understand my wish for privacy and take comfort in the fact that I'm about to enjoy life like I never have before. The family did not feel like Anna would have written them an email like this and it would be much more likely to call or travel to New Zealand to tell them. The same day that John sent the email to Anna's family, he made a trip to Bunnings Hardware Store in Frankston and brought a 1,800-watt electric chainsaw, two tarps and a roll of duct tape. He then went home and dug Anna up from the backyard before using the chainsaw to dismember her. He wrapped her up in a tarp and returned to the Mornington Tip to dispose of her. In New Zealand, Anna's family grew more and more concerned about her. Eventually, Lilia confided her concerns to the local priest, Father Tony Harrison, who reported it to the police. Police decided to investigate and contacted Australian authorities about their concerns. An officer from Lilia's hometown, Dunedin, Constable John Woodhouse, made a phone call to John Sharp. He maintained the story that Anna had left him and taken Gracie with her, but that they were still alive. He also provided the constable with Anna's mobile phone number. At this stage, Interpol in Wellington, New Zealand, was informed and a missing persons report was sent to the Victoria Police. They then contacted Sharp and were told the same story again. John told them that surely mobile calls made from Anna's phone confirmed that she was still alive, but this only raised suspicions. John Sharp was immediately put under police surveillance. They saw him approach a bunch of bushes near a public toilet block in Mornington and retrieve a credit card from a plastic bag. Anna's family received another email from Anna. They noticed immediately that it sounded nothing like Anna and informed the police. 
On the 8th of May, John Sharp made a phone call from the Frankston Library to a flower store and arranged for a bouquet to be sent to Lilia on behalf of Anna. This was paid for on her credit card. The card said, For Mother's Day and your birthday in one hit, I'll be thinking of you on both days and sending all my love. My freedom is precious. Hope you understand. Love, Anna. Police released information to the public about Anna's disappearance on the 19th of May, 2004. They announced that although Anna's credit card had been used multiple times since her disappearance, there were no security cameras on the ATMs they were used. On the 26th of May, John Sharp faced the public to make his plea. He said, Anna, our marriage may be over, but I still love you, and you are the mother of our beautiful daughter, Gracie whom we both adore more than anyone else. I know the current circumstances are very stressful for you and everyone concerned, including our families, and that we are a very private people. We need to resolve this. My biggest fear is being denied a part in Gracie's future. Despite the fact that John Sharp clearly knew the fate of his wife and daughter, he continued to cry crocodile tears to the media, pleading for their safe return. When he spoke of Anna and Gracie's disappearance, he called the ordeal gut-wrenching and heartbreaking. When asked outright whether he had brought harm to his wife and daughter, he denied it outright, stating that he had given 100% to his daughter and marriage. At some point, John's mother Valerie, who fully supported her son, invited the Herald Sun into her home for an interview with herself and John. John kept getting up during the interview and leaving the room, and eventually Valerie stated, see, he's getting more and more distressed. She stated that they would welcome Anna back with open arms. On the 20th of June, 2004, John Sharp's mother came forward and told the media that Sharp would no longer be speaking to them. He was reportedly under advice by his doctor not to, due to stress. At 6.45am on the 22nd of June, John Sharp was arrested and taken to the St Kilda Road Police Complex, where he was interviewed for 11 hours. At the same time, police descended upon his Mornington home to search, seizing a number of items, including a shovel, gardening tools and pavers. Following the police interview, Sharp was charged with the murder of his wife Anna and daughter Gracie. He had reportedly confessed. He was remanded in custody and held in the Melbourne Assessment Prison. Anna's family was devastated at the news, as you would expect. On the 29th of June, homicide investigators set out to narrow down the area of the rubbish tip which Gracie and Anna were likely to have ended up. The next day, wearing full protective gear and breathing masks, they set out to scour through 5,000 cubic metres of garbage. A hydraulic excavator was used to sort through the waste. Police who conducted the search were said to have been deeply affected by the horrible way in which Gracie and Anna were discarded. Many of them had families of their own. On the seventh day of their search, Anna was found, and not long after, Gracie was too. A memorial service for Anna and Gracie was held the same day that Gracie would have turned two. Eighty mourners, including family and friends, farewelled mother, daughter and unborn son, who was to be named Francis, at a funeral home in Mount Martha. Gracie's coffin was adorned with photos of the beautiful little girl and paintings that her kindergarten classmates had made for her. 
Nine days after the Melbourne service, a service was held in St Joseph's Cathedral in Dunedin, New Zealand. More than 200 people attended to say their goodbyes. John Sharp pled guilty to the murders of his wife Anna and daughter Gracie. At pre-sentencing hearing, forensic psychiatrist Dr Lester Walton told Justice Bongiorno that while Sharp was depressed, he was not psychotic at the time of the murders. He said, This is a fairly mad act, but there's no evidence of psychosis. It seems to me he reached a state of desperation where he concluded that this was his only option. He then went about it in a fairly methodical way. Sharp was not popular in prison. Men who kill women and children are strongly looked down upon by other prisoners. On the 5th of August 2005, Sharp appeared for sentencing in the Victorian Supreme Court. John Sharp was sentenced to 33 years in prison before he would be eligible for parole, which many consider lenient considering his crimes. John Miles Sharp was an unremarkable man. According to Dr Walton, he felt threatened by the attention his daughter Gracie was receiving from Anna, and this only escalated at the concept of another baby entering the scene. Forensic clinical psychologist Ian Joblin described John Sharp as an inadequate and withdrawn person who blamed the stress of his life on his wife, daughter and unborn child. John Miles Sharp was born in February 1967 in Mornington. He grew up with his parents who ran a confectionery store and five siblings. Some of John's relatives say that his parents spoilt him throughout his childhood and that he was seen to be manipulative and selfish, always getting what he wanted. He struggled socially throughout school and didn't have a lot of friends. This carried through to adulthood. He completed his high school certificate and went on to work at the Commonwealth Bank where he met Anna. Those that worked with him at the bank were reportedly shocked when they heard about the murders. They remembered John as a quiet, shy man. After Sharp was convicted of murdering Anna and Gracie, more information came to light about possible offences he may have committed in the past. In 2005, a member of Sharp's circle of family and friends reportedly wrote a letter, which was obtained by a journalist from the Herald Sun, accusing John Sharp of sexually abusing her when she was a young girl and he was in his late teens. There has been speculation from relatives that perhaps he was abusing Gracie and Anna found out, prompting the murder, but there is no solid evidence of this. Obviously this is an extremely devastating case and with Gracie being so tiny it's just all the more sad and Anna, such a lovely mum, everyone spoke so highly of her. So I guess with that, our thoughts go out to Anna and Gracie's family and friends and everyone who has been affected by these horrific crimes. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the True Crime Sisters podcast and please join us next week for a new episode. Until then, please stay safe.